Hello, church. Nice to see you on a Saturday. Um, and it's always good uh, to be together again. As we begin our service today, let's refocus our hearts on God, our God who is good, our God who is holy. And as we're learning in our memory verse, in James chapter 1, I think, um, our God who does not change, like shifting shadows. So our God who is worthy of our praise and adoration. So let's please stand and sing with us.
worshiping this morning. Oh 
Please be seated. Here we are to worship as God's people. And part of that worship, part of what it means to come before God, to praise Him, to remember what He has done for us, is to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And this is one of the things that we recognize and we read in our scriptures that the celebration of the Lord's Supper has been done even by the earliest church. And so in Acts chapter 2, Jesus has ascended back to the Father. Holy Spirit came upon the earliest Christians, upon the apostles. And then we have Peter standing up among the people, people who are looking at them, wondering what on earth is going on. And Peter preached the gospel to them. He boldly, he confidently proclaimed that God has made this Jesus, this Jesus that they crucified, both Lord and Messiah. God has made this Jesus King and Savior. Listen to what Luke writes in um, Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42. Those who accepted his message, the one that Peter preached, were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, communion, Lord's Supper, and to prayer. These were the first Christians, and they celebrated the Lord's Supper. And so as God's people today in the year 2023, when we come and we, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we're doing something amazing. Because one of the wonderful things about communion is that it's a symbol of our unity, our unity in Christ, the unity that we all have here. No matter our background, no matter our culture, no matter our age, we are all united and one in Christ. But it's not just a unity amongst us here. It's a unity across time, past, present, future. Because we are all part of this larger, grander story, God's story. A story in which God is the author. God is weaving our lives together with Him. We are part of that communion of saints. So we're united together as Christians, as God's people throughout the ages. For all of us here, and we're all united to Jesus, the one who has loved us, the one who has given His life for us. And so when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that's what we're remembering that's what we're partaking, feasting upon Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And we're doing it together, together as God's people. And so if you're here this evening, you call Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. This is an invitation to you to come, to celebrate, to remember our union, our unity together with our brothers and sisters in Christ across time to the person next to you and in front of you, that we're united in Jesus, that we're all part of this wonderful, beautiful, grand story in Christ. And ultimately, we want to remember Jesus. Let's remember the words of Paul. Let me read that. Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. That's what we're doing this evening. Let me invite the helpers to come forward. And as they do that, parents, if you're here, if you're young children, and this is something that you've explained to your children about what communion means, and that your children profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, let them come forward and take communion together because we are all one in Christ. So let me invite the first few rows to come to the front. If you're here, you're not a Christian, you're here just visiting, that's okay. Please remain seated. We are glad that you're here and we pray that the gospel will make an impact on you. So let me invite the first few rows to stand to come to, to the front to receive the elements. Please hold the bread, hold the cup, and we will partake of them together at the end. Let's come and remember the body of Christ given to us. Let's take together. And the blood of Christ shed for us. Let's drink. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we have this unity amongst all of us here. No matter where we are from, how old we are, what culture we're from, what ethnicity, we're all one in Jesus. And we're also one in Jesus with our brothers and sisters throughout all ages. That we all have Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. And so this evening as we remember Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, help us to remember. Remember His sacrifice. And help us to be grateful for the salvation we have. Father, we thank you once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with us. And as we sing this next song, let's remember, let's turn our eyes to Jesus, our Lord.
take a seat. Before you take a seat, please say hi to someone around you. Well, good evening again. Now, last month, one of the well, two things that we did as a church, hopefully you remember this, is that we had Compassion come to us, and we also had um, this drive for donation for Pregnancy Problem House. And one of the things that I really praise God for is for the generosity of our church, of our family here at Subi. Because the response was absolutely overwhelming. And so I wanted to give a quick update to all of you uh, about you know, the uh, numbers and the things that we received. So let me start with um, Pregnancy Problem House. And so if you remember, we asked for donations for non-perishable goods and food, and also for car seats to be donated. And in total, we received 31 car seats, which is absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. And we have, we have a whole carload of groceries uh, to be given out, to be donated to those who are in need as well. So we really praise God for that, for the generosity of God's people here. And so the update that we receive is that six, 16 car seats has been delivered to different uh, centers of uh, PPH, where they, from there they were delivered to those who are in need. These groceries, they have been delivered to a church in Wangara. They, are, they will be packaged as a food hamper to be given to those who are in need. So we praise God for a wonderful response uh, here for Pregnancy Problem House. The second thing we also asked and we also had is uh, Compassion coming to us and telling us about the ministries that they do. And this is one of the ministries that we've been supporting over the years because one of the things that we believe and we thank God for their ministries is that they bring gospel proclamation but also gospel heart where they provide practical training for these children so that they can be trained and they can be 
uh, saved out of poverty as well. So for the weekend of June 17, 18, we also uh, had more children to be sponsored. We had an extra 23 new children that are sponsored. So praise God for that. Which brings us to a total of 295 children as a church that we're sponsoring. Praise God. Wonderful, wonderful um, thing and wonderful generosity that we have as a church. Absolutely amazing. Please keep these two ministries in prayer because they always need prayer. We want to pray and intercede to God. And one of the things that we want to recognize, and I praise God for this, is that we recognize as a church, we have a generous, wonderful God. And his, in His generosity and in His mercy, He has given us His Son. And now as His people, as the people who have received that generosity, we want to be a people who is generous to others in the gospel and also in practical needs to serve others. So we praise God for that. And I do want to just very quickly update you about what's going on there. So please keep uh, these two ministries in prayer. Please keep them in mind. And if you want to you know, give more than what we have already done, great. Go to just Google them, and you can go to their uh, websites and find out more about that. Time now for Scripture at Subi. Those of you who are regular attenders will know that we work through the... Uh, each month we work through one of the verses from the Scripture, and this year we are focusing on the attributes of God that the Scripture reveals to us. July's verse is James 1 verse 17. Now, I'd like us to all recite it together. James 1, 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Excellent. Right, time for kids to go out to their kids' club. Big welcome to church tonight. Uh, my name is Rowan. I serve on the elder board here. If you're new to Subi, please introduce yourself to one of the people with the red lanyards or anyone that uh, is uh, running any of the events here and introduce yourself and let them know you're, you're new. Uh, as a, another way of introducing yourself, we have connect cards. You'll find one on your seat or there's a uh, online connect card which is accessible from the QR code on the seat in front. Please fill in one and let us know that you're new if you are new or even if you're a regular attender please still fill one in so that we know that you've been worshipping with us. This is a great way of letting us know of any of the prayer requests that you have. Uh, the staff and uh, elders will pray for any of your prayer requests. Also if you want to attend any of the events please indicate this on your care card or anything else that you'd like to know about the church. We now come to our offering time. Uh, since the earliest of days, people have been bringing the first fruits of their labours as an offering to God, and we stand here today doing the same thing, bringing some of the, the fruits of our labours to God, and uh, we, we worship this, we use this time to worship God by uh, giving back some of what he's blessed us with. Let's pray for our offering. Mighty Lord, we, we thank you that you have blessed us and we pray that you use some of these fruits of our labours that we have uh, 
work towards and can give back to you. And we pray that you bless this offering and use it for the ministries in this church. And please bless the, the ministries and they in turn bless people that they minister to. Thank you, Father. Amen. We have a few upcoming events. Uh, please indicate these on the care card if you wish to attend. But um, first one is Subi Women's Ministry. They're running a six-week study course going through the book of First Peter. And that starts on this Thursday, the 27th of July, and runs through to the 31st of August. That will be at 7 p.m. till 8.30 p.m. in the Subi Church here. And they will be discussing the text of First Peter and have teaching by Debbie Main. It's a great opportunity to gather for fellowship and also a deep dive into the book of the Bible, First Peter. All women are welcome to attend. Spaces are limited. And as I said before, please RSVP on your Connect card. This is the last week that you can register for this event, so please avoid disappointment and remember to register. Cafe Melody, next Saturday, the 29th of July, between 2.30 and 4.30 p.m., in the third place, which is the Salvation Army Hall on the other side of the car park there. Cafe Melody is our monthly music outreach ministry to the local Subi community. This month we have a special guest, Ron Hancock, and he'll be leading the music. Ron's well known in the Perth Church music community and he's been playing the piano for 75 years. So I assume he started quite young. Please come along for an uplifting time of music as we sing unto the Lord, invite your friends along and make some new friends. Fellowship meal. Next weekend, on Saturday the 29th and Sunday the 30th, we are having snags and sushi, and that'll be after each service. So please come along for a fellowship meal where we will have a sausage sizzle and sushi and have a great time of fellowship together. This is a great way for us to get to know each other better and to make new friends. We now come to our time of congregational prayer, so I'd like us all to pray with me. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you as sinners, saved only by your grace in Christ. We are forever thankful for the salvation that we have in Christ and thankful that we can come together as your people to worship and hear from you each week. We repent of our sins, we repent of the sins of our mind. We repent of the sins when we have not faithfully represented Christ in our lives. We, represent, we repent of the sins of our speech when we have not been gracious or truthful in the way that we talk to others. Therefore, we look to Christ in whom we find your grace and salvation. He is the source and fount of your mercy poured out upon us. Despite our sinfulness, we know that we are deeply secure in Christ for all that he has done for us through his death and resurrection. We ask in prayer for ourselves today as we come to hear from your word. May your gospel promise be proclaimed and take deep root in our hearts once more. May the gospel be a cleansing balm to our troubled souls for each one of us. Some of us may have come with heavy hearts laden with the burdens of life, but we are reminded of the words in Christ in Matthew 11, verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Help us to cast our burdens upon Christ because we trust that he is the powerful and strong enough to carry all the burdens of our souls. Father, we bring all the prayer requests of our congregation before you. You know that many of us here are praying for loved ones, particularly for those who do not know Christ. As we will read in Romans 10, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So we pray that you will work in their hearts and bring them to a salvation in Christ. We pray that they will call on the name of Christ and be saved. And lastly, we pray for Pastor David as he brings your word to us. Soften our hearts to listen to your word. Transform our minds for your truth to sink deeper and inspire our lives so that the gospel will be proclaimed throughout the world. To him be glory and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening everyone. This week's Bible reading is taken from Romans chapter 9 verse 30 to chapter 10 verse 21. If you are able to, I invite you to stand with me as we read from God's word. Romans 9 verse 30. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not obtained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but that zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and so sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. 
But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. You may now take a seat. Well, good evening, church. It's great to see you this evening. If you're new or visiting, special warm welcome to you. My name's David. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, we hope that your time here is a blessed one. And if you are looking uh, for a, a church home, then we'd love you to consider making Subi Church your church home. Uh, I've just got back. I've been on leave. Uh, I just got back from Bali last night, uh, and... Uh, my favourite surf break, I did a bit of surfing there, my favourite surf break, we'll tell you a little bit about how good at surfing I am. My surf, the surf break that I really enjoyed the most and felt most comfortable on, you know what it was called? Old man's. So uh, that'll kind of give you some idea of uh, how I was going. Well, we're, we're back into Romans this evening after a little break. And I want to start by asking you a question. Has anyone seen... This TV show, just a show of hands, anyone seen this TV show? It's called The Good Place. It's uh, a comedy series about the afterlife in which people are sent to the good place or the bad place after they die. People are assigned a score based on the morality of their conduct in life and only those with the very high scores, get sent to the good place. Let me just show you a quick uh, video from the series. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to your first day in the afterlife. You were all, simply put, good people. But how do we know that you were good? How are we sure? During your time on Earth, Every one of your actions had a positive or a negative value, depending on how much good or bad that action put into the universe. Every sandwich you ate, every time you bought a magazine, every single thing you did had an effect that rippled out over time and ultimately created some amount of good or bad. You know how some people pull into the breakdown lane when there's traffic and they think to themselves, ah, who cares, no one's watching. We were watching. Surprise! <laughs> anyway, when your time on Earth has ended, we calculate the total value of your life using our perfectly accurate measuring system. Only the people with the very highest scores, the true cream of the crop, get to come here to the good place. What happens to everyone else, you ask? Don't worry about it. The point is, you are here because you lived one of the very best lives that could be lived. 
What did you think of the scoring system to get into the good place? A uh, couple of them caught my eye. Uh, donated blood, you get 898 points. 0.48, it's very accurate. Right? Uh, rehabilitated and abused pit bull, you get 485.3 points. Let someone merge in traffic, you get 12,000 points for that. That's a lot. Not many people in Perth will be getting many points, I've got to say. Anything else catch your eye? Yeah, only those with the very highest scores get in. Now, how many people across the globe believe some sort of variation of this, do you think? Billions, you're right. Muslims, Hindus, Jews, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. The belief is to get into God's good books, to get into the good place, well, you've got to be deserving of getting in. God won't just let anyone in. Believing you can earn salvation is actually the commonest heresy there is. You don't have to go very far. I went to a church school not far from here. We had chapel every week. We almost died of boredom. Uh, and uh, this was before mobile phones, so you couldn't lean back and you know, scroll through Instagram or play Candy Crush. None of you guys do that during my talks, do you? I can see you anyway. So, But the, the chaplain, he very rarely spoke about God. And when he did, he never opened the Bible, so he couldn't possibly get God right, could he? And he said, look, if you want to go to heaven, be a good person, don't do drugs, don't hit girls, you'll get in. Now, don't do drugs, don't hit girls is very good advice, but it can't deal with your sin. It, it can't make you right with God, can it? Christians typically identify two ways to respond to God, don't we? Repent and follow God or reject God and do your own thing. But in a very real sense, there's two ways you can reject God. You can reject God by rejecting his laws and living any way you want. But you can also reject God by trying to keep his laws in order to earn your own salvation. And you think, well, I'm doing a pretty good job. I don't need a savior. And so you reject Christ. It's not just immorality that can keep you from God. It's pride in your morality. It's not just wrongdoing that can keep you from God. It's pride in your right doing. It's not just badness that can keep you from God, but pride in your goodness. Now, in our passage this evening, we see that irreligious people who previously had no regard for God have received salvation but religious people missed out on salvation, even though they were at least trying to keep God's laws. Now, how can that be? Well, let's take a look together. We're in Romans 9 and 10. Uh, the first point this evening is there is a wrong way and a right way to righteousness. Have a look with me in verse 30 of chapter 9. What shall we say then, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith? 
But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. At the time of Paul writing this, the, the irreligious non-Jews were being saved in their thousands, but the Jews, who were very religious, by and large, were not being saved. Why? Because the Jews were not pursuing righteousness God's way. You see, God gave Israel the law as a guide to follow, like a train track to follow. But what the Israelites did was that they picked up the train track and they turned it into a ladder in order to try and climb into heaven. They had the mistaken idea that by obeying the law, they could reverse Adam's sin, they could make themselves right with God, and they could gain eternal life. But no one can climb to the top of the ladder. No one can obey God perfectly and merit heaven on their own back. Right standing with God cannot be achieved, it must be received by putting your faith in what Christ has achieved. But the Jews refused to put their faith in Christ. Now faith, as we've seen in the book of Romans, faith is shorthand for the obedience of faith, which is not just believing in your head, it is trusting in Christ to rescue you, to transfer his righteousness to you. It's bowing the knee to Christ in obedience. To believe Christ is to obey God. To reject Christ is to disobey God. Because of pride, though, the Jews refused to bow the knee to Christ. And they refused to receive Christ's rescue and his righteousness. On the other hand, the non-Jews, who were previously irreligious, immoral, they were not looking for God or searching for God, they found salvation. How? How did they find it? By the obedience of faith. The non-Jews said, wow, thank you, Jesus. That, thank you for making me righteous even though I was unrighteous. That's awesome. I trust in your rescue. I trust in your righteousness. I bow the knee to you. And the non-Jews were saved. Have a look with me in verse 32. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Uh, when Paul refers to a stone here, he, he's, uh, he's using, uh, referring to a metaphor that appears in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 8 and, verse, and chapter 28. In uh, Isaiah's time, Israel was rebelling against God. They refused to obey God. And so in Isaiah chapter 8, God says, I must judge you. I will be to you as a stone over which you will stumble and fall. But in Isaiah 28, he says, in the future, I will lay a cornerstone. Now, a cornerstone is the first stone that is set in a building and it's the reference stone 
for all the other stones. That's the image that God is using. And he says, whoever puts their trust in this cornerstone will find sanctuary. And notice that God will set this stone where? In Zion. Zion is the hill on which Jerusalem is built. It's where God's king in Israel reigned. Now, 600 years after the prophecy in Isaiah, this prophecy is fulfilled. And it turns out that the two stones are one and the same. Jesus Christ, God's the king of Israel, right? the king of Israel. Jesus could have been the salvation of Israel. He could have been the sanctuary for Israel. But instead, Israel refused to bow the knee to Christ, and so he became their stumbling stone. It's the same in our day. If I try and pursue a righteousness with God in any other way than his way, through my righteousness, not through his righteousness, then I set myself up as the one in charge and I stumble and fall over Christ, who is the cornerstone. Have a look at chapter 10. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Many people are sincere. You'll meet people from various walks of life. They're very sincere. But sincerity doesn't save you. You can be sincerely wrong. Yeah? I might sincerely believe that I could be an MBA star. Right? But I would be sincerely wrong. I, I might sincerely believe that I could be a surfing professional. But I would be sincerely wrong. You can be sincerely wrong. Uh, there was a Christian Jew called Joseph Steinberg, and he was speaking at a conference uh, in England to churches from a wide variety of traditions. And he got up and he urged people about the, the, the necessity to take the gospel to Jews and to Muslims in the Middle East. After he spoke, the Archbishop of Canterbury's advisor to the Jews got up and in front of the whole conference, with an angry, clenched face, she said, Jews have their own religion, Jews have their own way to God, and we must not offend Jews, sincere Jews, by telling them about Jesus. She then made a beeline for Joseph, and she rebuked him to his face. And she called him a mahumad which is a word that Jews use against Jewish Christians. It means apostate, traitor. It's one of the worst words you can be called if you're a Christian Jew. So here is a non-Jewish woman calling a Jewish Christian an apostate because she felt so strongly that you shouldn't share Jesus with sincere Jews. But she would have to call the Apostle Paul the same thing, wouldn't she? Because Paul says Jewish people must submit to the gospel. 
Being a sincere Jew is not enough. Being a sincere Muslim is not enough. You've got to put your faith in Christ. Have a look in verse 4. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, the law refers to the first five books of the Bible, the books of the law. Uh, The Jews called that the Torah. The books of the law mean instruction, teaching, guidance. Within the books of the law, God gave his laws. He gave 613 laws for his people to keep. And he promised that if they kept them all, they would have life. That's what Paul refers to in the next verse. That's what he's, when he says, Moses writes about this, about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. You keep all the laws, you will live by them. That's a quote from Leviticus, the third book of the law. But even as God gave his laws, he indicated, if you know the, if you know the, 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 the first five books of the Bible, you'll know that when God gave the law, he indicated that his people would not be able to keep them. And that their only hope of being right with him was what? To put their faith in what he would do. You'll remember Genesis chapter 15, which is the first book of the law. God quite clearly says, Abraham believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. What did, he, what did Abraham do? He put his faith in God. And that's what made him righteous. God's plan was always to make people righteous with him by them putting their faith in what he had done. But the Jews, in their pride, believed that law-keeping would make them righteous. And they kept their focus on the law even when the culmination of God's plans in the book of the law was standing right in front of them, Jesus Christ. They kept their focus on the law. The Jews totally missed that one of the purposes of the law is to show us that we cannot keep the law's demands. We need a saviour. When we put our faith in what Christ has done, he credits his righteousness to us. That is the only way to righteousness. That is the only way to a right standing with God. You put your faith in Christ who has obeyed the law for you. Second point tonight, righteousness is readily available in Christ. Have a look with me in chapter 10, verse 6. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart, that is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. We don't need to go to impossible lengths in order to be made right with God, like trying to keep the law perfectly. No, God has brought salvation near Christianity is not about our search for God. It's about God's search for us. We don't need to somehow go and fetch Christ down from heaven. God has already sent Christ down to a lost world. We don't need to somehow go to the deepest depths and bring Christ up because Christ was already raised from the dead. 
A right standing with God is not beyond anyone's grasp. It is readily available. How available is it? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. We don't need to go to impossible lengths in order to be made right, like trying to keep the law perfectly. Instead, God puts us right with himself when we submit to Jesus as our Lord. We do this in our hearts privately, and we do it with our mouths publicly. This is not beyond anyone's grasp. But it may well come at a cost. It may well come at a cost. See, Christ's resurrection from the dead crowned Jesus as the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Supreme Ruler and Authority. But in Paul's time, it was the Roman Emperor Caesar who claimed the title Lord and Supreme Ruler, and even the Son of God. Have a look at this. In 42 BC, Julius Caesar was formally deified as the divine Julius after his assassination. His adopted son, Augustus Caesar, thus became known as son of the divine Julius or simply son of the God. He was the son of God. He was the supreme Lord. That was the claim. That Christians would call Christ Lord, who had died at the hands of Roman power, well, that was considered to be treason. That would result in execution. Christians were deemed enemies of the state. The church was an illegal organization. Christians had to publicly confess whether Jesus was their Lord or whether Caesar was their Lord. For example, if you were a Roman citizen, you would have to bow before an image of Caesar you would have to take a pinch of incense, throw it on the fire, and confess that Caesar was Lord. If you, wanted to be a, if you were a Roman citizen, you were required to do that. Many, many Christians died rather than compromise and confess Caesar as Lord. One of the most famous was a Christian leader called Polycarp, who in his late 80s, was tortured and burnt at the stake in his late 80s. And this is what he said at his death. If you think I will swear by the divine nature of Caesar, then you don't know who I am. Hear me clearly. I am a Christian. Believing and confessing Jesus is Lord is readily available. We don't have to go to impossible lengths like trying to keep the law perfectly. It's readily available, but it may well come at a cost. But if Christ is not our Lord, he cannot be our saviour. Verse 11, as scripture says, again in Isaiah 28, he's drawing from the Old Testament, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, which means they will be saved on judgment day. They won't be put to shame, they'll be saved. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile when it comes to salvation. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses 
all who call on him. For the prophet Joel says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All that anyone needs to do to be saved is all that anyone can do, and that is to call on the name of the Lord. If you're here this evening and you haven't yet called on the name of the Lord, please do that this evening. That is how one is saved, by putting your faith in what Christ has done. It's readily available. Third point this evening is this. Every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. Have a look with me in chapter 14, in verse 14, sorry. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. These verses, very familiar, are are used by mission organizations across the globe to try and capture the urgency of evangelism. For someone to call out for salvation, they must first trust that the gospel is true. But how will they know the gospel is true unless they hear it? See, do you trust me? Maybe you're beginning to trust me. But how would you ever trust me unless I spoke, unless I disclosed myself to you? You wouldn't. Now, you and I, we're not going to see God until we get to heaven. And so, until then, we only know God by his word. But because God doesn't lie, his word is a perfect expression of him. What we hear God say is what God is like. So it's by hearing the word of God that we come to trust God. Trust his word, trust God. But if no one preaches, then no one will hear the gospel and no one will be able to trust God. Now the word preach here doesn't refer to what we would just call sermons. It has a much wider uh, range, a broader range. It means to announce, to speak, to declare. And it has a variety of different forms of delivery. From sharing the gospel to your neighbours in personal settings, that is you preaching the gospel, to preaching more formally in, in larger groups. Right? Not every Christian is a capital P preacher like Peter and stands up in front of thousands. But effective announcing of the gospel is carried out in a number of different ways by people with all sorts of different styles, personalities, abilities, including each one of you. You just have to look through the scriptures to see the different styles. And one of them will suit you and your, how you are wired, how God has wired you. Look at in, Roman, uh, sorry, in John chapter 9, the man born blind. He simply tells people his story about his encounter with Jesus. Can you do that? Tell your story? In John chapter 4, the woman by the well, she just invites people to hear about Jesus, that she's to in, in, introduce them to the one that she has heard. Can you introduce people, invite people to hear Jesus? The most recent research tells us that one in four Australians 
will come to church if asked. In Acts chapter 9, there's a godly woman named who? Dorcas. And she is generous and she is uh, kind to the, and to the needy. And this testified to the gospel. It impressed itself on the whole of the community. Can you care for your neighbor in such a way that they will ask you why? In Acts chapter 2, the Christian community, their love for one another, they shared things. They were involved in, in each other's lives. That communicated Christ to a watching world. Can we love each other like that? At this point, I just want to plug small groups. If you're not part of a small group, you're not involved in people's lives, can I encourage you to do so? To care for one another in our church. Luke chapter 5, Matthew, the despised tax collector, he gets saved and then he opens up his house for all his other outcast friends to come and hear about Christ. Can you open up your home? Can you be hospitable to non-believers? See, God has wired us differently and he uses our uniqueness in his gospel work. How will you be involved in ensuring that the gospel is heard so people can call on the name of the Lord? How has God wired you? How can you be involved? Some of you, God is calling to be a capital P preacher. In a, in a church of our size, there will be people God calls to be capital P preachers. If that's you, if you're being prompted by God, don't push that away. I'd love to talk to you about it. Come and talk to me, otherwise I will find you. Charles Spurgeon, he was the one that said, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. What do you think about that? Every Christian is responsible for sharing Christ. Final point this evening. Religion, irreligion, or the obedience of faith. Have a look with me in verse 16. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. For most Jews, the chain of events that was necessary for them to call on the name of the Lord was not completed. Why? Well, the apostles, which means sent ones, an apostle is a sent one, they were sent, right? That chain, that chain was completed. That link was completed. Uh, they preached the gospel through the inhabited world. That, that link was completed. And the Jews heard it. That link was completed. Wherever a Jewish community existed, the gospel had been preached. But the, the chain of events was not completed in the case of most Israelites because they did not respond with the obedience of faith. The reason the synagogues did not bow the knee to Jesus was not because they had not heard, was not because no one had told them, was because they did not submit to Christ. Tragically and ironically, 
The Jews insisted that they could gain righteousness by obeying God, but they were disobeying God by rejecting Christ. Now we saw last time in Romans chapter 9 why anybody is saved. Remember? It's because God mercifully chooses us. Here in chapter 10, we see why anybody is lost. Is it because they're not chosen? No. It's because they reject Christ. It's their responsibility. The Bible asserts equally God's sovereignty and our responsibility in completing that final link in the chain, calling on the name of the Lord. And every person will answer to God if they don't. So religious people, they divide the world into two. There's the good people like them, and they are in, and the bad people, well, they are out. Like in the TV series, The Good Life. Billions of people believe some variation of this. But Christianity turns that worldview upside down, doesn't it? Religious people have no concept of a mercy so great that our loving Heavenly Father would offer full forgiveness without us having to earn it. The gospel redefines everything that religious people think they know about being made right with God. See, religious people believe that God owes them. I lived a good life. I do the right thing. Well, God owes me a ticket to heaven. I don't need Jesus. It's not their immorality that keeps them from God. It's pride in their morality. It's not their right doing. Sorry, it's not their wrongdoing that keeps them from God. It's pride in their right doing. It's not their badness that keeps them from God, but their pride in their goodness. For religious people, moralists, Jesus is not their, he's not their Lord. He's not their Savior. He, he's just their inspiration. He's just their their example. He's not their Lord or their Savior. It's, it's possible to spend an entire lifetime in church and yet still be a moralist. A person who is extremely moral is just as spiritually lost as someone who is immoral. The irreligious person is lost due to their self-centeredness. The religious person is lost due to their self-righteousness. Now, everybody gets that bad people are lost. But we have a much harder time getting that actually moral people are just as lost. Christianity challenges what everyone has ever, ever thought about God, sin, salvation. Christianity is not... Moralism, right? We've got to remind ourselves again and again. Bart is reminding himself, Christianity is not moralism. It's something else altogether. Everyone is in the wrong, and everyone is called to recognize Christ as the solution. So to finish with, there are three ways to respond to God. Religion, irreligion, the obedience of faith. Only one of those leads to someone being made right with God. The obedience of faith. It is trusting 
in Christ's rescue and righteousness. It is bowing the knee to Jesus. Now the Jews heard it, but by and large, they rejected it. You have heard it. What will you do with it? Much of the world needs to hear it. What will you do about that? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that salvation is readily available. We don't have to go to impossible lengths like trying to keep the law perfectly, but you have brought salvation near. If you're here tonight and you haven't yet called on the name of the Lord for salvation, can I urge you to do that? You might think you can live without Christ, but you certainly can't die without him because you will come to God in judgment. But if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Your sins will be wiped clean. If you've never done that, I'd love, you to, uh, I'd love to encourage you to do that right now. I'm going to say a prayer. I'd love you to follow along in the quietness of your own heart. Dear God, I'm sorry that I have pushed you away. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. I acknowledge that you are my king. I trust in you for my salvation. Amen. If that's you and you've prayed that prayer, can I encourage you to let someone know before you leave this evening. There'll be an opportunity to pray down the front. We'd love to pray with you. For those of us who are here, if you're here this evening and and you know from what you've heard tonight that you, you are a moralist, that you've been trying to get into heaven off your own back and pushing Christ away, can I ask you and urge you to put your faith in Christ? You cannot climb to the top of the ladder on your own. For those of us who, tonight who are Christian, let us remember Christianity is not moralism. We put our faith in Christ. This may well come at a cost for us as we call on Jesus as Lord, as we confess Jesus as Lord in this world, this may well come at a cost. Are you prepared to pay that cost as Polycarp did and gave his life? Because if Christ is not your Lord, he cannot be your saviour. Perhaps you're here as a Christian, you're quite happy to enjoy all the forgiveness that Christ offers, but you're still not submitting to Christ's lordship. You're still you still know in your life that you're, there are some things that you're keeping from God. Tonight, hand them over to Christ. Submit to Him. And much of the world needs to hear about Christ. What are you going to do about that? How has God uniquely wired you? How has God wired you? How, how can you be used? Because He wants to use you and He's wired you to be used. Can you open your house? non-Christians? Can you serve your neighbours so they would ask you why? Can you tell your story? Can you invite people? We are responsible for sharing Christ. How will you do that? And Lord, I just ask that you might stir our hearts To know the urgency 
of the gospel that people need to hear it and help us to play our part. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Dave. That was a great message. As we sing our last song, please stand with us. Let's believe that in our hearts and let's proclaim it with our lips that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. Let's sing. Jesus comes again.
If anyone would like some prayer, like to talk to someone, there'll be people up the front. Let me finish with the benediction. Father, we thank you that you use people from all, with all sorts of different styles, personalities and abilities. We ask you, Lord, that you would use us this week to serve you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next week.